our Hanukkah service. And as you all know, Hanukkah is not one of the Moedim. You will not find it in Leviticus 23. In fact, you will not find it in the entire Old Testament. You will not find it in the Tanakh anywhere from Genesis to Second Chronicles. It's not there. You will find it in the book of John. There is a short mention in the book of John where it speaks about Yeshua was uh, walking on Sol in Solomon's porch and it was winter and it was the feast of dedication. So Hanukkah means dedication and I think every year I try to do like a little summary about Hanukkah itself, about why we have nine candles on the Hanukkah as opposed to the temple menorah that has seven um, candles. And um, we always talk about the, the one being higher than the rest. And that one that's higher than the rest is the shamish candle or the servant candle. And it is the light by which all the other candles are lit. And in our way of looking at this, the messianic way, this represents Yeshua, who is the light of the world. And it's his light that gives us light. And um, the other thing about, I'm going to talk about why the eight branches when I get to uh, the message. The other thing I try to fit in somewhere is um, this, this little thing, the little dreidel. And there are two different dreidels that you can purchase. Um, I happen to have purchased this one in Israel. It's olive wood. And um, this one I got here um, in the U.S. And there are four letters. And the le one letter is different on ones that are made in Israel. I'm going to first talk about the one that is made in the United States. It's a nun, a gimel, a he, and a Shin. And it stands for, in Hebrew, Neskadol Hayasham. And it means a great miracle happened there, meaning in Israel. The difference with the one made in Israel is Neskadol Hayapo. A great miracle happened here. And I love to talk about this dreidel when we have our service because yes we remember the great miracle that happened there here in israel but we also remember the great miracle that happens here when we accept yeshua as our messiah and so those are the things associated oh besides the jelly donuts those and the latkes, yes, that are associated with Hanukkah. So, as I said, Hanukkah, I think I said, Hanukkah means dedication. So this is the Feast of Dedication. Um, it's one of the holidays that Israel, the Jewish people, declared together that because God gave them such a great miracle, in the time of the Maccabees and in the time of Esther, those are the two holidays where the people agreed we need to have a commemoration. 
we want a feast day. And we are going to celebrate this for all eternity. And so we do this along with the feasts of Israel that God, the feasts of the Lord that God gave to Israel. Um, I'm going to talk about the, the eight um, branches um, because a lot of, not the Shamash, but the other eight candles, there is an understanding or a tradition, a legend, whatever you want to call it, that um, as the temple is being restored and dedicated, that those who were part of the group that did this restoration and dedication found one cruise of oil that was good for one night. But the oil traditionally lasted for eight nights instead. So it's nowhere in the book of Maccabees, which has a very extensive, thanks Joyce, a very extensive account of what happened at this time. And all of you should have received in your email, along with your e-bulletin, a brief summary of one through, books one through four of the Maccabees. This kind of gives you an idea of what happened and why we're celebrating this. Did anybody not receive one? Okay, so Joyce, would you just... Yeah, it's just one paper. It's on both sides. So you can read that when you get home. I'm going to give a little recap. So Israel is under the, uh, the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes, who kind of is a madman, and um, he does not like the Jewish people. He, like Haman, is anti-Semitic, and... His rules made it a crime punishable by death if you worship the Lord according to the Torah. So in other words, if you practice the Sabbath, if you kept the Moedim, if you kept the dietary laws, if you practiced circumcision, and all of the ordinances that the Lord gave to Israel, um, you could be killed. And so, uh, in light of this, there were many people who didn't mind being under the Greek rule. They were Jewish people, but they liked the things of the world. And they liked the Greek culture. And so, they said, why not? We can, you know, sort of be part of that culture and keep part of our culture. And some were willing to completely leave the faith of Israel altogether. So they were considered traitors by a group of people called the Maccabees. And I want to read you a quote. I'm not going to tell you where it's from. Arrogance and scorn have now become strong. It is a time of ruin and furious anger. Would you be surprised if I told you it was written by a journalist last week? Would you be surprised? 
Why would you not be surprised? Because that's what's happening right now. No, that was written by um, Mattathias Maccabee, the father of Judas Maccabee. And you hear me say this so often. Times don't change. People don't change. And so we too live in a time when arrogance and scorn have become strong. That this is a time of ruin and furious anger. Not just in Israel, but in the United States and pretty much all over the world. People don't change. Humanity doesn't change. We don't learn from history. We just continue to repeat the same mistakes that the people before us committed. So, there were many in Israel who decided that becoming a Greek was not such a bad thing. But in the Torah, the Lord wrote this. The Lord told Moses this and had him write this. You must not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live. And you must not follow the practices of the land of Canaan into which I am bringing you. You must not walk in their customs. Do you think that that applied only to the people of Canaan and the people of Egypt? It didn't matter who their neighbors were or who the people are who lived among them. God did not want them walking in the customs of the pagan peoples and worshiping the pagan gods. In Psalm 106, 35 and 36, it says this about the Jewish people. But they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. So what we have here in this period of time, which is about 150 years before Messiah comes on the scene, is a problem with assimilation. People are okay with assimilating into the culture around them. We hear this word a lot, and I wanted to read you the definition, because assimilate isn't really in Scripture. I couldn't find it in the concordance. So I'm going to read you a pretty thorough definition of assimilate. To take in and incorporate as one's own. To bring into conformity customs or attitudes of a dominant group. To learn and remember new information and make it part of your basic knowledge. So when you think of assimilation, it's taking on another culture. It's taking on possibly another religion. It's conforming to the ways of the world as opposed to the ways of God. So I'm not, I wish I could read you everything that I read from the books of Maccabees as I was studying this week because they really are... What I understand is more historical than it is spiritual. However, 
the Maccabees, Mattathias the father, Judas the, the son, they were praying people. They were praying people who, when they prayed, quoted the Tanakh. They knew the word of God. And in Daniel, in chapter 11, there's a portion in there, I don't remember the exact verses, but there's a portion in there that actually speaks about the time of Antiochus Epiphanes and what he would do in Israel. But there's a, a verse in there, I think it's a, a Daniel 11.32, where it says, the people who know their God will do great exploits. And so when I think of the Maccabees, and I think of how they prayed and how they lived, and the people who went with them, I think of them as the people who knew their God, and they were able to do great exploits. Because you have to remember that when the Greeks came in, they came in not with their customs, but with their army. And their army outnumbered the Jewish people. Their numbers, their, their army was outfitted far beyond the Maccabean army. They had modern weapons. They had strategies. They had training. And they were defeated. They were defeated because the people of Israel had something that the Greco-Syrian army didn't have. And that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They did not declare that God was on their side. They declared that they are on God's side. They are on the side of God's word, his ordinances, and his precepts. And they were not ashamed of the gospel. Like Romans 1, we are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of salvation to all who believe, to the Jew and also to the Gentile. They knew that. And they were not ashamed of the gospel. And that verse had never been written. And so... We know there was great victory by the Maccabees, the ones who refused to assimilate. And I want to read you what happened when they defeated the Greco-Syrian army and were able to take the Temple Mount once again. So please bear with me. I'm going to read 1 Maccabees 4, 36 to 59. You actually can find it on your phones on Bible Gateway, but if you want to listen, just bear with me. Then said Judas and his brothers, Behold, our enemies are crushed. Let us go up to cleanse the sanctuary and dedicate it. So all the army assembled, and they went up to Mount Zion, and they saw the sanctuary desolate the altar profaned, and the gates burned. In the courts they saw bushes sprung up as in a thicket, or as one of the mountains, or as on one of the mountains. They saw also the chambers of the priests in ruins. 
Then they rent their clothes and mourned with great lamentation and sprinkled themselves with ashes. They fell face down on the ground and sounded the signal on the trumpets and cried out to the God of heaven. Then Judas detailed men to fight against those in the citadel until he had cleansed the sanctuary. He chose blameless priests devoted to the law. Why did he choose blameless priests? Because there were priests who followed the ways of the Greeks. He chose blameless priests devoted to the law, and they cleansed the sanctuary and removed the defiled stones to an unclean place. They deliberated what to do about the altar of burnt offering which had been profaned. And they thought it best to tear it down lest it bring reproach upon them, for the Gentiles had defiled it. So they tore down the altar and stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until there should come a prophet to tell them what to do with them. Then they took unhewn stones as the law directs, and they built a new altar like the former one. They also rebuilt the sanctuary and the interior of the temple and consecrated the courts. They made new holy vessels and brought the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table into the temple. Then they burned incense on the altar and lighted the lamps on the lampstand, and these gave light in the temple. I want to stop there because I want to say something about the oil. If there had been a miracle of oil, wouldn't that have been the perfect place to put that in? There's your opportunity to talk about the oil that miraculously lasted for eight days. It's not here. He's giving an account of everything that happened when they sanctified and rededicated the temple. Then they burned... Okay, I already read that. They, then they placed the bread on the table, and hung up the curtains. Thus they finished all the work they had undertaken. Early in the morning on the 25th day of the ninth month, which is the month of Kislev, in the 148th year, they rose and offered sacrifice, as the law directs, on the new altar of burnt offering which they had built. At the very season and on the very day that the Gentiles had profaned it, it was dedicated with songs and harps and cymbals. All the people fell on their faces and worshipped and blessed heaven who had prospered them. So they celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days and offered burnt offerings with gladness. Another opportunity for them to say something about the oil that burned for eight days and it's not mentioned. They offered a sacrifice of deliverance and praise. They decorated the front of the temple with golden crowns and small shields. They restored the gates and the chambers for the priests and furnished them with doors. There was very great gladness among the people, and the reproach of the Gentiles was removed. Then Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at that season, the days of the dedication of the altar should be observed with gladness and joy for eight days, beginning with the 25th, the 25th day of the month of Kislev. Another opportunity to put in and 
We had one cruise of oil that should have lasted only one night, but it lasted eight nights. There's no account of this miracle. It's in the Talmud, but that's the only place it is. Any of the other historical documents like Josephus, the Maccabees, nothing mentions this miracle of oil. Um, when you read the book of Maccabees, and I don't remember which chapter it's in, it talks about how the, um, the people of Israel lamented that they could not celebrate the Feast of Sukkot because they were forbidden to celebrate the Feast of Sukkot. How many days is Sukkot? Eight days. And when you read in the Maccabees, this was their Feast of Sukkot a little bit late. And, you know, we read in the scriptures where Passover was celebrated late one time. And, you know, God is, God is so merciful and so gracious. It's about the heart. It's not about legalism. It's not about, well, we have this checklist. So we're going to check off everything that God says that we're going to do. But your heart's not in it. And I'm not saying that if you have a check-off list that your heart's not in it. What I'm saying is that more often than not, when you follow a checklist, your heart is not in it the way it should be in it. And so their heart was in it to celebrate Sukkot. And so we know that there was great feasting and great gladness as they celebrated this feast of dedication. But there's something I want you to see, and hopefully you heard as I read this account of retaking the temple. You notice that they didn't dedicate the temple right away. They couldn't because they had to rebuild and cleanse the temple. And it's true for us. When we first come to faith, when we dedicate this temple to the Lord, we have to rebuild, we have to repent. And we have to cleanse ourselves from all unrighteousness, as the word says. Amen. And I thought about the whole process of cleansing and rebuilding and how long that must have took, how long that must have taken and how long the people persevered. I can't imagine what they thought and how they felt when they walked into the temple and saw it totally desecrated, totally destroyed. Their place where they worship the one true God, where a swine had been offered on that altar and the broth from the swine all over, the implements. How that must have 
just pierce their hearts. Well, sometimes we have some swine stuff on our altars. And so I'm just going to briefly go back over what I just read to you. But before I do that, I read to you what Mattathias said. Arrogance and scorn have now become strong. It is a time of ruin and furious anger. Those words could have been written by a journalist today. They could be written again in Israel in the days that we're living. I also read to you the definition of assimilate. And one of the definitions is to bring into conformity the customs and attitudes of a dominant group. We see that in our culture. And worse yet, we see it in the body of Messiah. There is assimilation. Assimilation into the culture of the world. There are individuals in the body of Messiah who think that, hmm, abortion isn't so bad. Hmm, homosexuality isn't so bad. Hmm, etc., etc. That's called assimilation. When we assimilate the norms of the culture into our faith, And the Lord said this, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be conformed and transformed. We're conformed to Messiah and transformed by him. That's the command. And so, I couldn't help but think about everything that the Maccabees did in order to cleanse and rebuild the temple before they could dedicate it. And I thought, it's the same for us. That we need to continually cleanse and rebuild our temples. And rededicate ourselves to the Lord. Not just once. Maybe every day. So I'm going back to verse 47. It says, Then they took unhewn stones as the law directs and built a new altar. So is it time to rebuild our altar? What's on our altar? What's on our altar? What's our idol today? What's on our altar? What keeps us from fellowship with the Lord? What keeps us from studying his word? What keeps us from coming to service? I mean, there are good reasons for these things. Um, but if it's a lifestyle of not reading the word, if it's a lifestyle of not communing with the Lord, then the altar needs to be cleansed and rebuilt. And we can't do it on our own. 
We have to reinvite the spirit of the living God into this temple. We have to reinvite the Lord to take his proper place on the throne of our altar. However many times in our lifetime that we do this before we go to be with him. And the word says that God is merciful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We serve such a merciful and forgiving God. There is no one like him. So the first thing they did was take care of that altar. So, you know, Psalm 139, it's one of the scriptures that we always use for um, Yom Kippur. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me and lead me in the way eternal. So the altar is our heart. And God says a lot of things about our heart in the scripture. Jeremiah 17, the Lord says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And sometimes we don't like to come to terms with that. Not me. If we compare ourselves with the world outside, even another believer, we might look pretty good. But if we compare ourselves to the Holy One, Yeshua, He is always, He is always our goal. He is always our model. He is always our standard. Amen. The altar was for the what? The sacrifices. And again, in Romans 12, it says, I exhort you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice, living and set apart for God. This will please him. This is the complete Jewish Bible translation. This will please him. It is the logical temple worship for you. In other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the olam hazeh, this world. And then it says in verse 48 of uh, 1 Maccabees 4, they also rebuilt the sanctuary and the interior of the temple and consecrated the courts. Well, when I think of rebuilding something, I think of like some pretty intense, extensive remodeling going on. And... That's what we need to do. Extensive remodeling, rebuilding of our hearts, our minds. We are supposed to have the mind of Messiah. Ever think about what you're really thinking about? Is that the mind of Messiah? We all are. In this scripture that I just read to you about temple worship, I want to go back and I want to read something. 
Well, no. It's, it has to do with the interior of the temple. And there's a reason why. And I guess we have to think about what we believe concerning this. Yeshua said this in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home here, within us. And so if we really believe that, that's, that's the interior of our temple. And in 1 Corinthians 3.16, you're aware of this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And 1 Corinthians 3.19, I guess. No, 6.19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we have all of these scriptures that talk about, about us being the living temple of the Lord. And so the interior of our temple needs to be consecrated once again to the Lord our hearts, and our minds. And then in verse 49, it says, They made new holy vessels and brought the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table into the temple. Well, I'm going to talk about the holy vessels. I'm going to wrap this up. What are our holy vessels? Our eyes, our ears, our mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Our hands, our feet. All of these holy vessels need to be cleansed and then rededicated to the Lord. And it talked about the incense on the altar and the lighted lamps on the lampstand. And these gave light in the temple. And that's, that's our command, if you will, to make sure that we are always filled with oil. The oil that will keep our lampstand lit. The oil of the Ruach HaKodesh who will keep our lamps burning in this dark world. And then it said they placed the bread on the table. And the bread is the word of God. That always needs to be on the table of our hearts. We need to be in the word every day. Because I thought to myself, what can keep us from being assimilated into the world? What can keep us from that slippery slope of assimilation? The truth but if we do all of these things, if we daily ask for forgiveness, because not a day goes by that we don't sin. What does it say in 1 John? If we say we don't sin, 
we are what? Liars. And the truth of God is not in us. So we either have to be real about this or be like the blind leading the blind and deceive ourselves into thinking that we have fellowship with God when we, in effect, do not. So where was I? Vessels, repentance, yeah, like the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, the word of God. And the last thing is verse 2 of Romans 12. Keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is the complete Jewish Bible. And I love how they translate it, how David Stern translated it, because it's an ongoing process. It's not like you transform and renew your mind once, and you're good. Because we live in a sinful world. Our world is filled with sin and temptation. And guess what? We have to walk through this world. We get defiled by this world. We get pulled in by the deceptions of this world. That's where I was going. We can guard our hearts against assimilation. And I truly believe that the people of Israel, had they kept in fellowship with the Lord, had they kept worshiping the Lord, had they kept attending Shabbat service, and celebrating the Moedim, they would not have assimilated. They would not have been busy looking at how attractive the things of the world were because they would be too busy. <coughs> Being in love with not an attractive God, but an awesome God. A powerful God. An unmatchable God. That's what will keep us from assimilation. So this morning, as we rededicate these temples to the Lord, think of this list. Think of your heart. Think of your mind. Think, think of your holy vessels, your eyes, your ears, your mouth your hands, your feet. Think about what you're doing. We do this every year. We rededicate ourselves to the Lord on the Feast of Dedication. But I have a whole different perspective of it now. Having read line by line how the Maccabees and the priests went in, there was no dedication until there was a cleansing and until there was a rebuilding. And they persevered. I can't, I would have lost heart, I think, maybe. You know, seeing this tremendous job ahead of you. Of fixing everything, rebuilding everything. They had to go find stones and hewn 
them into the altar. Was it like they could go on Amazon and order an altar? This was hard work. And it's hard work for us too to keep ourselves pure in this world. But we have a pure God and a pure Ruach who will enable us to do just that. So if you brought a Hanukkah, come up and light two of your candles. Maybe we could move this out of the way. And if you didn't bring a Hanukkah, please, you can either stand in your seat or you could come up here. We're gonna, can you put the um, 